Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. If you've attended the Creating Change Conference, you've probably seen or experienced our guest, Kathy Rinna, working her unique magic. Even before formally joining the task force staff as communications director, this LGBTQ communications and PR guru helped each year as a consultant, then interim communications director. Kathy has been a voice in the LGBTQ plus community for many years, working with countless organizations of all sizes to ensure a variety of voices in the LGBTQ Plus community are heard. In 1998, following the murder of Matthew Shepard, she worked with the media to help students and journalists make sense of what had happened. She worked with the Matthew Shepard Foundation for years. Kathy spent 14 years at GLAAD, where she fought against the Defense of Marriage Act and Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Most recently, she helped coordinate the coverage of the World Pride Celebration in New York City. Due to the global pandemic, the 2021 Creating Change Conference will be virtual. The theme of this year's conference is The Power of You and features day-long institute, workshops, speakers, and great entertainment. Rena shares how the organization has pivoted to continue to represent the LGBTQ plus during these challenging times, not only with the conference, but internally as it prepares for a leadership transition. As Kara Johnson succeeds current executive director, Rhea Carey. Kathy, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. So, how are things in your neck of the woods? We're trying to get snow here. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> these are trying times, but we are, you know, we've gotten through the uh, impeachment and the insurrection, and now we're looking forward to the inauguration. So, it's, yeah. uh, it's going to be an interesting year, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and I'm hoping that we get through this week and then... Right. Cooler heads will prevail, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly hope, yeah, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel for my friends that are in Washington, D.C., or frankly, any state capital at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm telling you. Oh, this is crazy. It's a crazy time, but, you know, you know, I'm hopeful, you know. But then I Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard. right. That's the, the prevailing mm-hmm. feeling is hopeful and watchful. 
you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Kathy, it's great to talk to you. I'm going to tell you, I know you through creating change. I mean, I I, I know you've done other things, but I know (laughs) you, you know, through the task force. And, I mean, I can't remember not knowing (laughs) you. I mean, like, you know, as part of, a part of being a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, it's part of not just giving voice, but just being there. I, I mean, I is appreciate that, like, that. And, and certainly that's what comes with age and experience, right? Um, uh-huh. And sure, creating change has been a part of my life for 30 years. You know, it's really wow. pretty amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you know, you, but, you know, and going back and reading it, reading about you, there are things that I know, like you were, you were there, like, about all of the big things that, that as you start and you think about our experience, our getting to the place where we are now, where it's pretty hard for someone to say, oh, I don't know anybody gay, or I didn't know that was happening. Who doesn't know about like, Matthew Shepard? Who doesn't know about Don't Ask, Don't right. Tell? Who doesn't know about marriage right. equality? What influenced you? I mean, you know, you could have gone anyway, you know, in your life, in your life course. But of course. what made you decide I actually, to be? But, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what made well, you know? What made you decide to that it was important to be that voice to tell those stories? Well, you know, it's interesting because my first, you know, experiences as an activist were with GLAD. You know, I was mm-hmm. actually living in Washington D.C. I was young. Um, I had decided to, frankly, change course in my life professionally. Um, after graduating from college, I attended medical school for a brief period, and, and I re- just wanted to get involved in the larger LGBT community. I love D.C., uh, but uh, unfortunately, I was not uh, really in love with politics or politicking, I should say. And so I was looking for something that appealed to me. And there was a very interesting panel happening. I believe this was 19... Uh, 90, 89 or 90, um, mm-hmm. and it was, called, it was called Lesbian Invisibility in the Media, which, you know, at the time was a key issue. Um, and it was uh, hosted by, you know, several organizations, but there was a woman there named Ann Warner who was the founder of the Washington, D.C., uh, then called National Capital Area Chapter of GLAD. Um, which was, you know, still a pretty small organization, chapter-based, um, you know, was in New York and L.A., and, and I went up to her after, and I said, this is something that really interests me. I love pop culture. I, I'm really interested in media. Um, and I think, it, you know, as someone who grew up in a very accepting family and, and feels like when I tell my story to people, uh, it helps them, seemed like, a, seemed like an interesting thing to do, and, well, you know, like they say, the rest is history. So I, I started volunteering. All of a sudden, you know, back then, very, very, very few of us saw this as a career option, but we were volunteering, and all of a sudden I was in charge of a committee, and then all of a sudden I was co-chair of the organization. And then, you know, by the mid-'90s, GLAD grew, and um, I was brought on as a consultant when GLAD merged and became a national organization and a, a real powerhouse. Um, so, you know, the, the early-'90s were interesting because – I was lucky to be in D.C., which was, you know, dealing with Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the early days of marriage equality and the March on Washington in 93. So 
despite the fact that I was kind of a quote-unquote local activist, I got to be engaged in some really amazing things with all kinds of national groups based in D.C., like the task force, um, and be, you know, and kind of sit on the edge of the stage at the 1993 uh, March on Washington and see what it looked like to have, you know, what was close to a million people, you know, watching on as we had speakers like Urvashi Bad, who was the, at that time the executive mm-hmm. director of the task force, um, and just being, being part of that history. But, you know, in the mid-90s, things obviously, you know, changed a lot. It became my job. Um, I worked for GLAD for 14 years. Uh, but, you know, again, the first five or six of those were volunteer. But I ran the D.C. office, and, and, and we saw history in the late 90s. We saw uh, Ellen come out in 97. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw uh, the murder of Matthew Shepard in 1998, really sort of changed the landscape and the conversation around hate crimes. Um, and then in the late 90s, we, we started to see breakthroughs, you know, whether it was Will Grace or, you know, in the early, early 2000s. So, you know, I, I think that it's really interesting for me to look back and, and see that I've had the opportunity to be part of things that continue, frankly, to have an impact. Uh, on all of us. You know, it's interesting because I remember in the 90s and even being active, you know, as a community activist, when you talk to people about, you know, being engaged and speaking up more uh, as being for the LGBTQ community, there were still people who were like, eh, you know, can you sort of like keep that, you know, down? I remember working with a community group and we just showed Harris's burning, and we got some, some pushback from people like, what are you guys, what kind of agenda are you guys trying to get that? So the ideal. <laughs> right. And now we're know, watching like, those. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, and so right. the ideal, I mean, it never occurred to me that there would be an opportunity to actually work in that. I thought, you know, like there were just a handful of people who right. did that, but for most of us, you know, we thought, you know, well, you know, maybe we'd be out, but maybe we'd just go about and do our jobs. You know, you said your family was so being an executive. Okay, medical school to being an activist. What, what was that conversation like? Uh, Kathy, you're going to not be a doctor? You're going to be a what? <laughs> well, no, what it, was, did you know, it was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my dad, my dad once, quips and I say it all the time now because it's just funny he's like so wait so now you're a professional homosexual you know um, <laughs> in other words you're getting paid for it right I mean mm-hmm. I, I think that the interesting thing is that what this comes down to in the end is I feel for me this is about education and teaching and, and mm-hmm. the irony is that I come from a family of teachers my partner is a teacher I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by teachers and, and I think again I say this all the time you know it was so important to do the kind of work that I did then and continue to do now because you're right. Most people, the vast majority of people, they can't say they don't know someone who's LGBTQ. I mean, they may know them and not know that they're LGBTQ, but they know somebody. But, but especially in the earlier days when there was less visibility, what we know in this culture, particularly in the U.S., is that you know, people feel like they know Ellen DeGeneres because they watch her mm-hmm. on TV or they know you know, Will and Grace, because they know Will and Jack and Grace and, and Karen on, on, uh, on the show, or any show, and now Pose, you know, um, which is really, to me, been the, the evolution of my work has been about 
and it was Glad's mission, and it continues to be, right? You can take the girl out of Glad, but you can't take the Glad out of the girl. It's about <laughs> diversifying the representations and people understanding us in our very, you know, multiple, as you said in the introduction for the show, you know, the introduction for the show sounds like the, 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 um, the mantra of my work and also the, the mission statement for creating change. Um, it's about the diversity and the multiple identities we hold. You know, I'm not like a woman on Monday, a lesbian on Tuesday, and a mom on Wednesday. I mean, that just it doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. You know, I'm all those things all the time. And so I think it's really important that we continue to push the envelope and tell those stories. And so, you know, in the last, you know, five or six years, I've been working on things like telling the stories of transgender children. And I'm talking about small children, you know, from like mm-hmm. five to, to 15, which is, yeah, I couldn't have imagined that if you asked me in the 90s. You know, I thought, I, I thought we'd still be working on marriage equality, you know. But it's, so it's very, <laughs> it's, very, it's very meaningful and very powerful for me to feel like I, I'm part of this change and, and able to play a very specific role in it and I'm especially excited to be at the task force because I feel like they are an organization that gets that, that has always gotten that. I mean, they're, they're going to celebrate, well, I should say, we're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary in uh, 2023, which, you know, will make it, you know, the oldest uh, functioning national queer organization in the country. And that's, that's a big deal. I worked on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. You know, that's that's. In, in historical terms, it may be a blink of an eye, but in our community's terms, that's a long time. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited to just be, be part of all this. I get jazzed every day. Um, and I, I think partly because I, I do have a, a, a community and a family and a partner and, and just, you know, personal support. Like I just, I make sure that I stay healthy in doing this. Um, you know, it's, it's what keeps me going and not certainly not burning out ever. In fact, if, not, if anything, I get more excited about it. You know, I think that what you do is so important because, you know, people often um, compare, like, the black civil rights movement to the LGBT movement. And, you right. know, and being someone who stands at that intersection, and you were talking uh-huh. about, you know, Will and Grace and Ellen and all like that. And I yep. often tell people that, the visibility is great, but just like when they started to see more black shows, it's like, you know what? We don't always have to be funny. We don't always have to, you right. know, I cannot, I cannot dance. And that it is important that, yes, we have this visibility, but also to go, okay, well, that opened the door. That put a crack in it, but let's show the real story. Correct. You and your well, spouse. And your cat, and you know, know. and that that you live everyday lives, you know, so it's sort of like the work goes on. No, absolutely. And I think it's about also, well, it's about two things. It's about getting beyond stereotypes without um, diminishing the fact that stereotypes exist for a reason. I I have this conversation all the time with people. Um, And it it comes to the, one of the things that is very close to my heart, which is within our own community, our need to do education around sexism and racism and transphobia and ageism and ableism and all the other um, things that we are certainly not immune to, Lord knows, um, in our own community, um, you know, having experienced it myself. I mean, I, I've had conversations with, and this was a while ago, not more recently. In fact, now actually people are more encouraging of having more diverse representations. But, you know, I, I would talk to producers and reporters who, 
you know, they were just like, oh, so complicated if, they, you know, if I wanted to offer up a, a transgender person of color to talk to about things. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or they would ask me things like, what does the LGBTQ community think about? I'm like, I don't really think I can speak for everybody because, you know, there's a little <laughs> bit of diversity of opinion mm-hmm. in our community, you know. And, and the other piece is not denying, you know, that, the, that stereotypes exist for a reason. I mean, one of my favorite stories is you know, meeting with an editorial board of a, of a major national um, media outlet when Will and Grace was coming out. And, you know, having them, they were even unable to say the names and the words. Like, what about that character? And I'm like, which one? <laughs> and I'm like, Will? And they're like, no, no, the other guy. I'm like, Jack? And they're like, yeah, because, you know, Jack was very stereotyped. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a lot of criticism, myself included, of the show, you know, needing to more fully represent our community. But my problem wasn't with Jack. I said, if you talk to, you know, 10 gay guys, uh, you know, four will love him, four will hate him, and two will be just like him. Like, I mean, that's, there are a lot of Jacks out there, and that's fine. We, we should celebrate our Jacks, you know. Um, like Billy Porter, I think, is doing, you know, mm-hmm. an amazing job you know, really pushing against what it means to be masculine, what it means to be man, like, and all of the, these issues, you know, that, that, you know, people are always so afraid to talk about. Um, I always, you know, I joked some, but I was very serious in saying my big problem with Will and Grace was that, you know, really put on the science fiction channel. This guy is good looking, a lawyer, has a great apartment and doesn't have a boyfriend. <laughs> you know, like, like that's, you know, that's really, that's a, uh, Oh, I said that once, like, to the Associated Press and got in quite a bit of trouble with the creator of Will and Grace because of that. But, it, you know, it, that was the issue, you know. I don't want the kiss to be Will and Jack kissing to make a political statement on the Today Show, which is what they did on the show. Um, but the new iteration came out, and wow, super political, much more about, you know, them having relationships and dating and all of that. That's the progress that we fight for. And, you know... Like, and Pose, of course, is an example I use constantly. Having, I know some of the cast. I've experienced, like, in fact, at Creating Change last year, Delon Burnside came to Creating Change, performed at the Agents of Change Ball, was producing a documentary, and so interviewed a ton of people at Creating Change. It took us almost two hours to walk through the expo of booths of, of different organizations because mm-hmm. we were stopped every two seconds by someone who wanted to hug him, thank him. People were crying and saying, watching Pose makes me feel seen, especially young people who hadn't seen Paris is Burning and who had never mm-hmm. seen, you know, the diversity, particularly of trans representation of people of color, that, that Pose does so well. So that's why, you know, this is, you know, I, I know people will say, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a newspaper article or it's just a TV show, but, you know, in our culture, that matters a lot, and it makes it much less abstract for people to understand who we are you know like like you you know we started this doing this when we were in kindergarten so we've been around a moment that's right But you know <laughs> yeah but now when you meet young people how do you mm-hmm. find your emphasis your language changing to talk about where young people are because I have met young people who say well mm-hmm. I'm out but only online, or that 
those of us who have been involved in the, I mean, I can recall when we were talking about Stonewall, having to really, you know, talk about what, what that was. I mean, that it's not taught in schools for the most part. Correct. And, you know, to have those conversations, to have conversations about who Bayard Reston was and that, you know, mm-hmm. no, we didn't just, it didn't just start with Will and Grace, that we have been here. Correct and queer for a long, long time. How did your role as a communications guru, you know, and as you're talking with young people and you're interacting them, what's the language, what's the focus that you see changing? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a real mix. A lot of the young people that I work with, uh, they want to learn. They want to understand how we are now in such a different place. And they want to appreciate and acknowledge whose shoulders they stand on. I get that. Um, I just worked recently on a film called Mama Gloria about uh, mm-hmm, an extraordinary mm-hmm. trans woman of color in Chicago. Uh, and the film director, yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's an extraordinary film. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, we're actually honoring her at Creating Change. Um, she, uh-huh. uh, she, uh, the director of the film is a woman named Lucina Fisher, whose daughter is trans and who is involved in an organization called Gender Cool, which is a a group that I've worked with for several years now of uh, trans adolescents who are not just surviving but thriving as trans and non-binary adolescents, primarily because they have very supportive families um, and communities behind them. And it's, you know, that cohort of young people is, they're teaching me. I'm not teaching them anything. Like they can, they can, they've looked up all the history. They know all this, you know. Um, but there are also so many young people out there who are learning, you know. And I would actually, it's interesting. I've, my daughter is 15 years old, and she's obviously grown up in the community. She now identifies as part of the community. She has a ton of friends who are also you know, trans, non-binary, queer identified. And it's interesting to talk to, um, to those kids. And my niece has friends as well. She's 17. Um, who are trans and non-binary and queer, and, and talk to them, you know, about not just what's happened in the past, but what's happening now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. We obviously need to teach more inclusive history in our schools and, uh, you know, several states, including, I'm very proud, the state of New Jersey that I live in, um, you know, recently passed some legislation making uh, mandatory for more inclusive history, et cetera, in, in curriculum. But... I love listening to how these young people are talking because they've grown up in a culture where, unlike us, there wasn't this like, really, gay people exist? I had no idea. Um, (laughs) You know, they Mm -hmm. are actually speaking about things in a way that goes beyond identity politics and like, don't label me. Um, You know, things are much more fluid for them. They're not quite so black and white as when we were younger. And, And I think that's, that's really great. I mean, I, I think to have that kind of freedom and to feel that sense of, you know, just respect me for who I am. I don't need to have a label slapped on me. Um, and I don't want to be restricted. I don't want to be, I don't want to check off a box. Um, you know, and as some of the kids at Gender Cool will say, you know, being trans is like the third most, fourth most interesting thing about me. Like get to know me as a full person. And it goes back to the multiple identity piece we were talking about before. They, they're starting out thinking like that they, they're not just um in many ways for many of us it was you know we overemphasized our sexual orientation or gender identity um within the movement because we had to because mm-hmm. we had to do it to, to force people to really you know understand that we exist 
Um, and I think we're just in a, in a different place with young people today, uh, taking into account, of course, that, you know, for a lot of kids, it's still really hard to come out. People are, kids are still thrown out of their homes. Forty percent of the kids who are living on the street identify as LGBTQ, which is ridiculously disproportionate to the number of, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ kids um, in general. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's a much more complex world we live in, but, you know, we have to work through that complexity to make the progress we want to. And then on the other end, okay, you have like the Gloria Allen, who I had the honor of being, and she received an esteem award in Chicago a few years back, and what a wonder. Uh, I mean, I mean, she yeah. is like, in that community, just like loved. I mean, you know, and... And it was oh, yeah. like, you know, I want, I want to say like, you know, you guys, I need to, I need to talk to you, you know, help me. But, you know, right. but then you have our elders. And I think that that's the other thing that's great is like giving voice to them because some of those stories have been lost. They, there are many elders who still struggle Absolutely. with living authentically, but they have such great stories, you know, and to you have that, that way, you are able to walk that way to hear the voices and tell the stories of a youth and help them identify. But then you have your elders who have, like, you know, the stories and the lives. I think of uh, Dr. Wilhelmina Perry. I think of, like I said, Gloria uh, mm-hmm, Allen. Yeah. All these people who have had these phenomenal lives, and life was different. And I know um, when Creating Change was here, there was. I mean, here is this group of young women who were talking about getting married, getting pregnant, having babies, and all like this. And right. there were some elders who were sitting there going like, you know, that had never even, you know, like, yeah. wow. You know? Mm-hmm. So, well, it, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with Sage uh, not long mm-hmm. after Michael Adams took the helm. And it was really one of the most wonderful experiences because it was really, this was, we're now going back probably about 10 years, but it was the very beginnings of uh, us acknowledging um, within our own community, not just the ageism, but the, the need for acknowledgement of these stories and services. You know, everybody mm-hmm. gets older, hopefully, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the previous generations, less so now, but still, you know, don't necessarily have kids, don't necessarily have the family support. So, you know, the things that SAGE is doing, you know, we did public education campaigns. There was a, a tremendous amount of media that we did. Um, you know, I worked with Edie Windsor, which was just, you know, one of the oh, most yeah. extraordinary oh, experiences yeah. of my life. And, you know, mm-hmm. she was on the board of SAGE and super engaged. And, of course, she's known for her, you know, suing the country, Supreme Court, marriage, all of that. But, you know, she also did a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. and to really elevate the stories of elders, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so Sage, I remember when Sage did one of their first conferences that I worked on with them in, um, in Brooklyn, and we had, you know, literally thousands of people show up, and, and I helped play some, some stories, but there was an Associated Press story, and that, of course, you know, that means that, that it goes everywhere in the country. And, you know, several of the Sage elders told their stories, and they were so incredibly moved by that because mm-hmm. they felt like, you know, people don't hear them, people don't see them. Um, and so, you know, again, like, uh, you know, I, 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 it's a, it's a, I think it's kind of a, a bit of a trope, but like I cradle to grave, you know, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think it's important mm-hmm. that we are telling the stories of the entire spectrum of our community and, and, and elders certainly, you know, I, I, one of the 
amazing people I work with at the task force is Barbara Satin. Um, she just turned 86 years old, trans woman, does our faith work, um, and is amazing, you know. And so people need to know that. I mean, I remember as a, as a kid, and it, again, like I was in my 20s, I was in Washington. I got to know Frank Kameny and Barbara mm-hmm. Giddings. I was able to meet Bayard Rustin's partner. And like, uh-huh, you know, yeah, amazing with that. I have a deep appreciation for, you know, I would not be doing this if you hadn't gone through what you went through in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. um, that there is the pre-Stonewall history. It did, it, you know, the gay movement did not begin. Uh, uh, it was certainly um, given a great big leap forward, but was, did not begin with Stonewall. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you know, it's just, it's just incredible to go that way, like you said, to, to be able to sit with the elders and then also to sit with youth. It is just like so phenomenal. It moves you to understand yes. why you're doing what you're doing, but really makes you feel whole. Do you know what I mean? It's just like I'm not new. I'm not, you know, in a, in a vacuum. There's this just huge breadth of our history which we're not hearing about or which isn't being lifted well, up as, as much as you'd like it to be. And there are also the issues you brought up around young people maybe not knowing the history, about older people sometimes feeling a little bit like, you know, it's like that story. Well, I walked nine blocks through the snow to get to school. Um, <laughs> you know, the kids don't appreciate what we went through. So actually one of the workshops that I helped put together for Creating Change that I'm particularly proud of is it's an intergenerational conversation between trans youth and elders. I, don't, I know we didn't plan this this way with the interview, but like, good segue. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's amazing. Mama Gloria and Barbara Sad are both participating, some of the gender cool kids. We have uh, Timber Hudson, who's a non-binary activist in his 20s, I think. I don't know. I never ask, and I can't tell how old people are anymore, um, who's a longtime Creating Change uh, friend and family member um, who can talk about, you know, non-binary communities and how those are becoming something that, you know, not just more prevalent, but something that we need to be talking about more. And, you know, for a lot of these elders, they grew up in a very binary world. Um, and so it's, it's important. So I'm excited. That's one of the workshops that I'm actually most excited about for creating change. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, because um, I, I spent a lot of time working with and supporting the Ruth Bella Center. And I know one time I went and I was talking to a young trans woman who was like, she had just turned 20. And she said that prior to coming to the Ruth Bella Center, she just thought that was the name of it. But then in learning of the life of this lesbian who had That's lived right. 300, yep. she said how in learning <laughs> about what she did, it inspired her to do for that next generation coming up underneath her. I mean, she's 20 and she's talking about the next generation of trans and LGBT, LGB youth coming up underneath right. her, recognizing it. And I was just like, Wow! How hey, one of the one of the one of the most amazing uh, moments was actually I met Ruth Ellis once in mm-hmm. Washington. She was part of a photography exhibit at the Corcoran. She was in that book that um, uh, Nancy Andrews did called Family Portraits of Gay and Lesbian. We didn't use the B and the T as much back then. Gay and Lesbian people, and I met her, and she was. I mean, she was just awesome. I mean, she, it was very mm-hmm. funny because she was looking around at this crowd at the Corcoran, very Washington, and she was like, where are all the women? And I'm like, they're not here. Um, mm-hmm. So we took her to the phase. She wanted to dance. And she was, mm-hmm. you know, she was mm-hmm. a dry 80-something-year-old then. She reminded me mm-hmm. very much of, you know, then 
working with Edie Windsor, very similar kind of personality, mm-hmm. just full of life, uh, full of joy. Um, and her story, you know, she told me her story. And I knew some of it, but, like, for somebody mm-hmm. to have her, a woman to have her own business, never mind being a lesbian, having her own business, mm-hmm. taking people in, taking kids in who've been thrown out of their homes in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, like, that's, that's a story that needs to be told. The documentary is amazing. I, I recommend mm-hmm. it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a great loss when we lost her. But, yeah, she was <laughs> – I love the Rosella Center, too. I love all mm-hmm. – I love those guys. I've worked with them a ton, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, the moment when my – when Ruth Ellis, who was my community mother, met my biological mother, and they sat there and had a wonderful conversation. Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, it was a day that I felt whole. I have a you picture know. on my desk of my mother with Edie Windsor, and they're, like, mm-hmm. clutching each other because they were so excited to meet each other at an event. And it, it's, I, I printed it, and it's framed, and it's sitting on my desk with uh, all my other family pictures. Um, because, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, who's lucky enough to have things like that happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And have, have someone like Edie say to my mother, I love your daughter, I'm so proud of her, and for my mother mm-hmm. to say, you know, the same thing right back to her. You know, it's really, mm-hmm. that's, we're very, very lucky to have those moments in our life. Not, not everyone gets those. That's true. Well, we're going to take our first break, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the task force. So we'll be right back. That would be great. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with Kathy. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. And we're talking with Kathy Renna, who is now officially (laughs) a a member of of the task force team. I tell you, I mean, I mean, like I said, I always saw you there. So I mean, it was like, wait a minute, she hasn't been. (laughs) Well, I was always kind of a fixture, and they they used to they've hired me in the last several years to like. Like, they paid me to go, um, you know, on contract as a consultant to help with uh, media and help with the conference. So, um, you know, when they came to me in May, when the communications director left and asked me to act as interim, you know, with everything going on, COVID, et cetera, I said, you know, absolutely, you know, I I don't know that I would say it to any other organization, actually, other than the task force. But I said, yes, and look here where we are now. Now now I am the communications director as of January 1st, and it's – it's an honor, uh, and I'm super excited, and I think it's actually a, just a, you know, I think it's what you call a win-win. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a big year for the task force. There's a lot of changes, you know. We're getting yeah. a yeah. new executive director. You're on board. Yep. Um, it's been around a while. 
this is a, a transition period. What do you see that's changing and what's staying the same? And people are going like, what's happening at the task force? Well, I think, you know, what's changing is that we're obviously going to be pivoting in terms of the work and tone because we're changing administration, right? I mean, we'll have a new mm-hmm. way of accessing and working on policy things that we've wanted to work on forever. We're not going to be on the defensive like we have been for the last four years. We can go back a bit on the offensive, which, you know, the uncompromising nature of the task force is that that's what we do for the community. We advocate for everyone. Um, it's all about equity uh, and visibility and recognition of all of who we are all of the time. And it's working across issues and across communities. I always say that, you know, one of the things that I love the most about the task force is that it's a progressive voice for the queer community and it's a queer voice in the progressive community. And that's really important because the, the intersectional work that everybody everybody loves to throw intersectionality around as a buzzword. I mean that's that's what the task force has done for decades. Um, so yes, very important year working on of things like of course the Equality Act um, and overturning and and getting rid of all of the horrific executive orders that uh, were put in place by the Trump administration and all the different agencies, whether it's the HHS or whether it's uh, the Department of Education or whether it's um, uh, you know, any of the places where uh, we've seen anti-LGBTQ uh, policies put in place, but it's also about immigration. You know, it's also mm-hmm. about the economy. It's also about COVID disproportionately affecting our community. So, you know, that's, that's going to be the work. Um, and I think what hasn't changed and won't change uh, is the values. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. the other reason that I was saying, I mean, I love being at the task force because, you know, it's, a, it's an incredibly thoughtful place to be. There's always a conversation about how does this affect everyone in our community? How does this affect poor queer people? How does this affect women of color? How does this affect trans people? Um, and, and I think the change in leadership is not only indicative of that, but also going to really help take us to a new level. Uh, I've known Kara Johnson for several years now. Mm-hmm. This has been in the works now for several years. If, if Ray Carey is nothing if not incredibly methodical and planful um, and doesn't miss a beat. So they've been really working on this for a while. And, and to be part of this transition, just again, it really feels like an honor and a wonderful thing because Kiera, <laughs> Kiera Johnson is a force of nature and amazing um, and, and really exemplifies what the task force is all about. I mean, she's not just going to be the first black woman to run the organization. She also comes with a a long history in reproductive rights work, which is a mm-hmm. clear issue. Um, mm-hmm. And she's also, you know, she's also wanting to us to be more visible and be, especially at this time, whether it's around issues of queer equality, whether it's racial justice, whether it's economic justice, reproductive rights, you know, it's about all of those things for her. And, uh, you know, it's been a challenge, obviously, with COVID, but we are creating a, a team that's going to really help lift her up and take her forward into the next uh, generation of task force work that we're really excited about. You know, you said something that I think is really important. You said to be the queer voice in the progressive movement, because many people assume that it's like, oh, well, progressive, but we have challenges within the progressive movement. Yeah, sure. And, and I think it's really important. It's, 
it's like the work that the task force does in faith communities. You know, obviously we've seen a tremendous amount of progress in faith communities, but the need is still there, and the need is still there to push uh, and advocate for inclusion for those who do worship and for those who don't. I mean, we did a, a Facebook Live uh, recently where we had, you know, several uh, diverse faith leaders. We had someone who works in reproductive rights, and we had someone from American Atheist. You know, we, we recognize the diversity of the community, and we need to advocate for, for everyone. And the, but the progressive movement needs education and someone pushing the envelope as, as much as, as any other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems like often it's like they're quick to, you know, include us in, but when it ha- comes time to have that voice, to have that real seat at the table to where we're changing, uh, uh, you know, that's not there. It's just like, well, you know, we're progressive. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have a queer. Okay, come on, you know. <laughs> For the photo, right? There's no right. There's far far less tokenism. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. far less tokenism. I mean, I, that's, those days have, for the most part, passed. But 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 now it's it's about being even more substantive in the role that we play. And I, I again, I, I said this is something that I really think about and work on a tremendous amount and very vocal about, as is the task force, is working within our own community on our own issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen, and again, this is why I think it's it's really powerful to think that Kira Johnson is, is about to become the executive director of the task force. Alfonso David is the new head of the newish uh-huh. head of the human rights campaign. You know, uh-huh. Imani Rupert Gordon is running the National Center for Lesbian uh-huh. Rights. Um, uh-huh. We have people of color running our national organizations. Like, it's about freaking time. You know, this uh-huh. has taken too long. And, and it's not just about tokenism. It's about making sure that we are uplifting that leadership to do the work um, and to do the, the work in an inclusive way. And that, that to me is, is very encouraging. It's, it's taken far too long. Uh, you know, I mean, and let's be real, okay. Um, we do have Alfonso, we have Imani, now we have Kira, and we know that within when Alfonso David was made the president of HRC, I know HRC people, who, who were like, oh, and then they look at that. So there is that pushback, and we don't want to talk about racism within the LGBTQ community, but it is there. It has often been like, and, you know, and I often tell people, I don't fault the ones who had the money that helped make these organizations start, but you know what? We're a diverse community and all of these things. That. How is that message what do you what do you say to those in our community who though have an issue with seeing communities of color rightfully take their role and that that it's really helping our community making our community richer showing the truth how do you how do you have a conversation with them well i mean i think it's two things one is modeling you know i mean uh-huh. as as a person uh, who's an ally you know, as a, as a white person with some privilege. You know, it's about modeling. Um, and it's also about having conversations and educating people and pushing back. You know, when you see something, say something, right? Um, and that's really important. And that's important whether you're in a room full of executive directors, um, which I'm sure, you know, Kira and Alfonso and Imani have to and will deal with, um, or whether it's, you know, you're with a, a, a group of friends at an event. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I think, again, we keep coming back to creating change, and I know we're going to talk about it, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's why we create this 
notion of radical accessibility creating change. We don't just mean that we have, you know, sign language interpreters and Spanish interpretation. We mean it's accessible uh-huh. to everyone. We mean that from an economic basis. We mean that from a racial diversity. We mean that from recognizing um, indigenous communities, whether it's, you know, as simple as land acknowledgement or whether it's as complex as, you know, some of the workshops that really dig into the challenges that two-spirit and indigenous communities, queer communities are facing um, within the community as much as, you know, outside. So I think it's about modeling and I think it's about, uh, you know, in being very intentional in the work that you do. You know, it's like when I have conversations, of whether it's I'm putting together a workshop for creating change or whether I'm talking to a journalist about people they could be talking to. I am very intentional about making sure that there are, those are diverse voices. And, and if somebody pushes back, then, you know, do you want, if you don't want me to participate, that's fine. But if you want me to participate, this is where I'm coming from. This is, this is, a, this is non-negotiable. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's so important because that's often that I tell people, because, you know, it is not for me as a black woman to do a, the work. Sometimes I need my sister ally to, to do the work, you know, because you're going to give me your line and then sort of go on, but, but you can, can reach people in a way at home. You know, like sometimes even like when we're talking about the election, I have told some of my, my white sisters, no, you need to get your sisters together. It is not for me to come and tell them what they need to do because they're not hearing me. You know, not, you can have that in-depth comment. Okay, so 2020, you came on board, and it was right after really creating change last year when – COVID hit the fan. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, COVID hit the fan. Um, how did the task force, and, and you used the word that I found, you pivot when the enormity of what was happening hit? Well, I mean, I think we pivoted in the way a lot of organ- other organizations did. Um, you know, I think that Ray Carey, is and not just an extraordinary leader, but an extraordinary person. You know, her first thought, first and foremost, was the people. How do mm-hmm. we take care of the people? You know, how do we create safe ways for them to work from home? How do we, you know, create a way to maintain, you know, the budget? You know, everybody had to make some hard decisions in the spring, uh, but, you know, I will say that the task force has been uh, just really incredible at, pivoting both, you know, in terms of the financial piece and being able to, Uh you know, now bring on additional staff. We just hired Liz Seaton as policy director. Um, We're bringing Mm. on a a new deputy executive director with Kira uh, taking the uh, ED role, you know, so, and we're, you know, as of right now, all working from home indefinitely. Um, And it can be, you know, the big things like making sure that we are sharing space as a staff together on a regular basis, whether even if it's on Zoom. Um, or whether it's the small things, like, you know, making sure that people are taken care of, you know, whether that's helping them pay for their wireless because now they're working from home all the time. You know, I mean, it's really the thoughtfulness is there and the planning is there and the, and the, re- the realistic <laughs> sense that this is not going to end very, anytime soon. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're immediately pivoted to virtual programming. And I had a ton of experience last June with the first virtual Pride, Global Pride, New York City Pride, et cetera. So the task force pivoted immediately to virtual events. Uh, The gala was virtual and was a a tremendous success. In fact, in some ways, 
more successful because we had people from almost every state in the country. Usually it's in Miami, and it's mostly folks from Florida. Um, mm-hmm. Creating change is completely virtual, but as, as a precursor to creating change, we did an event in the fall called Queering Racial Justice, which was a sort of a mini one-day creating change um, that focused on racial justice issues. It was a tremendous success, and it went great. And so we're really, we're really, we're doing well. I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I talk to my colleagues and I see what's happening in the rest of the world and especially the world of employment. Um, and I think that the task force, again, it comes down to raise leadership uh, and the board, the support of the, you know, the senior management of the organization and uh, making sure that we stay not just viable, but productive at a time when, boy, it's uh you know, we're having every challenge uh, in the book thrown at us, you know. And, and also understanding that this is also affecting so many of us personally. I mean, we've had, you know, many staff who've lost friends, family members. Um, mm-hmm. The staff is incredibly diverse. So as we know that COVID is disproportionately affecting communities of color, you know, we're, we might be uh, getting hit even harder than others. And so, you know, the, the care is there, and we're, we're certainly taking that all into account. But we're, we're, we're you know, very lucky to be in the position we're in. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I can appreciate, you know, because especially like with the gala, with the uh, queering racial justice, I mean, all of these, it does allow more people to be engaged. And because, you know, if I can't come to, that was often, you know, creating change. If I can't get to that city, well, now you can just go to your computer, you can plug in and be part of it. But right. having been at a city that has twice in my lifetime, hosted Creating Change. When there was that whole, like there was that process as to wanting to be one of the host cities and then that preparing Mm -hmm. for it, which helped that community. I know even in Detroit, it helped us collaborate. It helped us get over some of our stuff, you know. It helped us come together. It helped us grow as a community. So... As you're going into, as you're thinking about going into creating change 2021, that didn't happen. I mean, it, it wasn't that on the ground. I mean, there were task force people who were on the ground. I know when we were here that uh, the one-day seminar, Evangeline, came in, and, like, she had right. been here before working with people and doing that, and we came together and we had discussions, and there were things that happened because of the preparation and building up to creating change and afterwards that made our community stronger. How? I think that's part of why, you know, and originally it was just in Washington every year and started to move Mm -hmm. from city to city, and that was actually part of the goal was that it really helped build community. People, organizations work together to make this huge event happen. I mean, the, the loss is, that's one of the losses of it being virtual. The other is just the idea of being you know, in that hotel with thousands of other queer mm-hmm. people. It, it's such a battery recharge and, you know, family reunion element exactly. to it. Um, or, as, you know, we joke, now no one can protest at the plenaries, which, you know, that happens every year. <laughs> so it's, yeah, uh, I don't know, maybe they'll try and do it virtually. We'll see. I don't know. It's creating change. Mm-hmm. You know, you teach people to get politically organized. Sometimes they do it right in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, so that, those parts are lost. But you know what? I am buoyed by the messages from, uh, uh, particularly from students, from colleges that are sending dozens of kids because, because they can. They don't have to, you know, 
book a hotel and get on a plane and come to another uh-huh. city. And, um, you know, the cost was prohibitive for people. So now, you know, we essentially, you know, have such a, a, a wonderful sliding scale that anybody can really afford to, to come to Creating Change and enjoy it and participate. And, yes, it's going to be different, but, you know, the adaptation and the, the spirit of community, you know, we've done everything we can to make sure it's still there. And I think the programming uh, kind of speaks for itself in, in how we're trying to do that um, and bring all of those elements like, hey, I've never been to a virtual ball, but I, uh-huh. I trust those queens, man. Agents of Change Ball is going to be uh-huh. in everyone's living room, living room, you know, or dining room uh-huh. or bedroom or wherever. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes, but, but we're going to do it. If any community can do it, we can. Well, you know, I'm glad, you know, like we always said, it, it was like the big family reunion. And let's not forget about the love stories. <laughs> you know, um, Jan Stevenson and Susan yeah. Horowitz are just now retiring from running between the lines. But yes, they met. Them. At Creating Change. At Creating Change, yeah, well, there's they a lot met of that. At, I mean, <laughs> they met at Creating Change, and I know so many other couples who met at Creating Change. And, you know, and it's sort of like, but that was the other part, you know, that, that you talked about. Here's this big family reunion. There was always a possibility of meeting, you know, someone who you'd see across the crowded plenary and going like, hey. Right. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, you know, I hope that, that spirit, hey, who knows? Maybe it can happen on Zoom. Who knows? We're still doing, we're still doing the introductory virtual cruise. It's going to be virtual, but we'll see how that goes, uh-huh. you know, that sort of opening reception <laughs> that we do. Um, and, and the other thing that, you know, Creating Change was the catalyst for organizations being founded, the Equality Federation, um, uh-huh. the, the coalition the, of uh, the college consortium of uh, higher education, like, Organizations were NCABP, the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Projects, were founded at Creating Change. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be different, but it's, it's, uh, it's still going to be amazing. And, you know, it also gives us an opportunity to have some folks there who may not otherwise have been able to. I mean, we have one of our keynotes is Dominique Jackson, um, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. so thrilled at that. And people are just going to be blown away by her keynote. Uh, uh-huh. Big Frida is performing. Um, Adrian uh-huh. Marie Brown is one of our keynotes, and the uh-huh. the um, the institutes, you know, are still going to be there. Uh-huh. You know, the incredibly diverse institutes, uh-huh. and they some of them adapted. You know, the there's sex in the time of COVID. You know, is now a workshop. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, well, let's take a quick and break so, and then talk about this so, year's uh, creating change. So okay. we will be <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking about creating, we're getting ready to talk about Creating Change 2021. I love that, sex and the age of COVID, because, you know, I can imagine, you know, it, it's so much to think about. How do you meet? Where do you meet? You know, dating under a mask. I mean, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, well, it's, so, one, it's certainly one of several. I mean, there's also... Um, <laughs> There's a, an institute called Faith in a Virtual World, which, you know, actually, in an interesting way, you know, access to, uh, you know, faith traditions and ceremonies and, and you know, weekly Shabbat or, or Mass or, you know, if, if those are the things that you are interested in is something that is now much more possible because a lot of these things are online now. You know, if you've ever wanted to go to a Shabbat service at CBST, which is the world's largest queer synagogue uh, based in New York City, they are now virtual. So you can be anywhere and join. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's really important that, um, you know, that we adapt the programming to obviously what's happening in the world. There's also a, a lot of uh, programming that is addressing you know, what's ahead for us, um, especially with the new administration. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a really great workshop called Vice President Ante. Um, about organizing friendly administrations for systemic change, which our policy folks are going to be uh, uh, dealing with um, and uh, and overseeing. And these are important conversations to start having. I mean, creating change is happening, you know, week after the inauguration, a couple weeks after the inauguration. So it's uh, it's uh, very timely as always. Uh, the last weekend in January. Oh yeah, you know. Um, okay. Now you you mentioned you know, Dominique Jackson. I mean, you know, wow, you know. I mean, uh, I, I can't know, wait right? to, myself. I can't I can't wait to hear what she is. Adrienne Marie Brown, who I often refer to uh, as my sister from another revolutionary mother, because um, we both have been involved with the Boggs Center, and we both consider us ourselves children of Grace Lee Boggs. I mean, you know, and I, she's just like phenomenal. You're going to have uh, Big Frida. I mean, so mm-hmm. many, I mean, the queen of balance. I mean, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, you made it, I mean, one of the things about it, like you said, without having to pay, you know, to fly somebody in, do like that, you can, they can do it from wherever. This probably like really opened up the possibilities. It did. Absolutely. What the sessions could look like, you know? Yeah, it certainly did, especially for the panels as well. I mean, I have, uh-huh. uh, I'm doing several panels. Um, and I helped organize the, the intergenerational panel on trans issues. But, you know, like take that one, for example. We'll have some folks in Chicago. We have uh, Ina Fried from Axios is going to be moderating from San Francisco. Uh, you know, we'll have, uh-huh. we'll have folks from really all over the country participating at the same time on the same panel. Um, and I'm telling you, getting all those people to, you know, in a room together is not as easy. Um, but getting them in a Zoom room was a little bit easier. And so... Uh, you know, I think it did. It did really open up the possibilities for so many. And I also think there's a, you know, the issue of um, for for a lot of people, creating change was overwhelming. You know, to be in a hotel mm-hmm. with thousands and thousands of people. I mean, my, I joke with my daughter because she's pretty introverted. You know, this year she might, you know, take a look at some of the stuff, some of the youth programming because it's virtual. Um, you know, and as, and from an accessibility standpoint. You know, it's it's much more accessible, you know, for the for those living with disabilities. So, it, it's it's like I said, we pivoted, we we we've modified, 
we've taken all the best things that we could from creating change and put it into a virtual format. And I think that's what's going to be um, that's going to be what people remember. You know, and I think too. I mean, there was that part, like you said, it could be overwhelming. Although, you know, to suddenly like you know be like like what on this different? I see gay people. I mean, no, I mean to have so many. I mean that. I know many people the first time that they went that they but there were breakout rooms where you could go and find your tribe and sit with them to like sort of like help you breathe through it and yes, come back. The, yeah, the where caucuses. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. We will have the caucuses. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. we won't have those fun, you know, hospitality suites. That's I think what you're mm-hmm. referring to. We had a trans mm-hmm. hospitality suite, a youth hospitality suite, and the, I my favorite was always the elder one. I, I'd go even before I turned fifty because. Uh, the sage folks are so much fun, and they would always have, like, really great food. So, you know, the, the, you just sit and, and, and talk to, you know, complete strangers who five minutes later became friends. You know, there's so many connections were made that way. I think that's, you know, that's, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be, I think, the thing that, that will be challenging. But, again, you know, we're, we're trying to create that experience. Um, we're trying to create that experience virtually. I mean, the opening, the opening cruise that we're doing, you know, is mm-hmm. – is part of the um, the sexual liberation collective track, but um, you know it's a it's going to be a, a virtual way to meet folks on that Thursday night as the conference starts, um, mm-hmm. and zoom in. You know. Mm-hmm. Now I know you were saying that you know part of it made it more accessible. I know I looked and I saw you know what the what the cost were. You know people don't have to plan on doing it, but what about those? You know there were often those who were able to come because they volunteered. And in volunteering, not only did it allow them to come, but it allowed them to, to be a part of it. What Absolutely. We're, we're accommodation doing that is being made as well. That. We're mm-hmm. doing that this year as well. If you go to creatingchange.org, um, you can send an email to uh, one of the organizers. Uh, and if you volunteer, you get free registration for this year. Involved in a virtual world. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you volunteer, you you will be able to register for the full conference. Mhm, mhm. So yeah, yeah no, that, well, that, that that and that's always been a a very strong value because we know that that mm-hmm. that's what makes it possible for folks to uh, be able to attend. I think they used to do a a discounted registration for the next year, but we don't know what's happening next year. So we thought mm-hmm. the best thing would be to if you're going to volunteer this year as a house captain or you know as a a, a, a workshop. Uh, evaluator or monitor because obviously we have to have people monitor the chats and things like there are different kinds of volunteer opportunities but uh if you do so then you can register for the full conference for free you know it's funny that that means like dave Waite, who has been involved with the volunteers like forever i mean he oh, lives right dave, here yeah. and often when i would see dave yep. was that creating change i might not see him all year but I show up at creating change, hey, Dave, you know, and we'd always say, "Yeah, I have a, well, I have a ton don't. of people like that." And some of them were, uh-huh. yeah, some of them didn't live too far from me in Washington when I lived in D.C. or, or even in New York. But yeah, we see them at creating change, and they were they have several creating change buddies that I met at creating change, and the only time I see them, and uh, I'm going to miss that. We might have to have a personal, you know, Zoom breakout room. Sounds like a plan. Now, <laughs> now you're. Creating change is taking place the week after the inauguration. I mean, this has been huge. I mean, we have gone through four years of, at best, BS, <laughs> at worst, hell. Right. You know, but um, the work goes on. Is this going to be 
Are you expecting to have anyone from the new administration come through? Or how are we going to, uh, is, it, is it going to be something to talk about the work that we must continue to do? You know, we can't just go like, Joe Sayer, you know, but it still involves work. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, of course not. I mean, there's a, a ton of uh, the workshops will be addressing those issues, like the one that I referenced that our, our action and advocacy department and policy department is doing around systemic change in a, in a friendly administration. Like the tone, obviously, is going to change. We'll have access. We'll be at the table. But how do we really make the systemic change we want? Um, you know, I think that that's, yeah, that's going to be sort of topic A. It's actually happening two weeks after. It's the, the last weekend in January. So it starts on Thursday, January 28th, and it goes through Sunday the 31st. And, and Sunday we'll actually have programming for most of the day because it used to be a travel day, but now no one's traveling. So we can have uh -huh. more programming on Sunday. Uh -huh. Do you see that after creating change that your communication yeah, will go to taking some of the, the things not only from creating change but the, the mission of the task force to the new administration and oh, saying, yeah. like, this I mean, is where we, already, we are now? We already are. Yeah, I mean, we uh -huh. already are. I mean, that's the, the transition team is – is already working with so many folks in the community. I know our policy folks have been in meetings. Um, I've been in a, a couple of meetings related to um, the inaugural events and uh, work with a, you know, a group of all the different communications folks as we you know, move forward. Once, once he's inaugurated, we're all going to be able to start talking about you know, different things, whether it's the Equality Act, uh, you know, mm -hmm. or you know, whether it's getting rid of all of these horrible executive orders that Trump did, um, yeah. and getting things back on track in all the different agencies. So, and yeah. and the appointments. You know, he's making a lot of appointments, and so working very hard. I know the Victory Fund has a major focus in the appointments project there, uh, but all of us are are advocating, and we're already talking. We're already in conversation with the transition team. So, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, moving forward. I mean, we know yep. that there's a vaccine that, that's available. Um, there is a matter. I mean, you, we know access is everything. And many LGBTQ yep. people, you know, where are they going to be? People of color who are also queer, are they getting in that? Where do you see in that aspect as far as really making sure our health needs in this time of pandemic? And it's not just about health. I mean, you know that. With jobs, we're often the last, still, the last hired, first fired, you know. So here COVID is really affecting our community. We might not even truly know how it's affecting our community. How do we lift that voice up? And what role do you see? Where's your, your, what's your next platform that you're really going to be pushing on to talk about our rights, our justice for LGBTQ community? Well, I think, you know, like I said before, I mean, this is this very much falls on our both our policy department and our communications and also an engagement, you know, and engaging the mm -hmm. community to, to get used to having a voice again, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we feel like we've been spitting in the wind and being mm -hmm. attacked for the last four years. So it's, it's all of those things. You know, it's and our policy people are they're like I said, they're already having conversations with colleagues around, you know, strategies related to not just the Equality Act but but other pieces of legislation that'll be coming down the pike and making sure we're included. Like just for an example, um, 
uh, one of my colleague Barbara Satin that I mentioned before, who, who is our faith director, you know, was invited to a meeting with the transition team uh, of queer faith leaders, and it was, you know, she said it was an incredibly, not just an incredibly diverse group of people, but it was also a conversation that was substantive and about having having our representatives and having our community there at the very beginning, not as an afterthought mm-hmm. later on, like, oops, let's go ask the queer people what they think, right? So this is, you know, and we know Joe. We know Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. He worked for mm-hmm. three years, you know. Uh, not, we're not just, you know, we're not just at the table. You know, we're actually part of the conversation in a, in a, in a very big way, in a substantive way. And so I, I think that there's a lot, of, um, a lot of that happening already, and then it will, you know, really go into high gear. Um, you know, the task force is certainly planning, you know, plans for the rest of this year related to all kinds of uh, issues that we care about, whether it's queer, queer uh, equality, racial justice, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, creating change for me has, I mean, professionally and personally has always been a space where I feel re-energized and ready for the year ahead. And I think it's taken on extra special significance this year, given that we are you know, starting off with tremendous challenges, but I think, you know, as we said before, starting off uh, much more hopeful than we have been in the last four. Now, I know that you're already thinking 2022 for creating change. Is the plan to continue to, to build on what's good virtual and hope that maybe they'll be able to be uh, in-person component to it, or is it just like, for now, let's just plan 2022 too, is also going to be virtual. Well, we're certainly thinking ahead, but I think that we're also being uh, very mindful and careful as we were, you know, as we have been from the beginning. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a conversation that is just going to continue to evolve as we get through the rest of this year. We don't know. Um, you know, there are potentially, you know, some, some dark days ahead until people get vaccinated. Um, and whether there's a hybrid event or whether there's an in-person event at all, that those are those are those are questions. Well, we're 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 so busy working on the next few weeks of creating change, we'll start thinking about it in February. Reminds me of when okay. I was at Glad. We would start planning the next Glad Awards the day after the Glad Awards. So it's you know these these are uh-huh. huge events, thousands of moving parts, scores and scores of people. But uh, Andy Garcia is just an amazing conference director. This is just his, uh-huh, I mean, uh-huh. poor thing. He's he, his, his third year doing it, and, um, and he had to really, uh, you know, pivot, like we said, and uh, has done a great job. So after this creating change, we're, we're going to start thinking about how to do 2022, and we will, uh-huh. you know, we will have to be flexible. I know he was new uh, when we did Detroit, and because I remember talking right. with him. So, yep. so yeah. Well, well Kathy, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with me and to talk about creating change. Um, sure. Uh, this and people can still. I mean, there's time. Go online, register. The thing is, is you don't have to worry yeah. about booking your your hotel being full. That's you know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, go on today, register. Yeah, the whole, part. the whole, yes, the whole detailed schedule is up now. You can look at every workshop. Um, you can start making your plans. Uh, it's just www.creatingchange.org. Um, you should definitely track us on social media at the task force on Twitter and Instagram and the National LGBTQ Task Force on Facebook. 
We're going to be doing a lot of live tweeting and posting from the uh, plenaries especially and from some of the workshops. And uh, if you follow us on any of those uh, social platforms, you'll also see some really fun and engaging and exciting announcements and uh, uh, folks that are, are participating uh, that are encouraging more of us to get involved. So well, definitely I'm follow looking us on forward. social as well. I'm looking forward to seeing my task force family online. Yep. You know, um, I am glad you're there. I I saw Kira, and she was in Detroit for the NAACP conference. I mean, uh -huh. and I got a moment to to talk with her, and you know, she's amazing. She's phenomenal. So many great things are happening there. And at a time, you know, the task force has been there. And we have work to do, and I know that you will continue to be there. So, Kathy, thank you again. You thank stay you so well. Much. I really appreciate it. You too. Stay well. Stay safe. Get that vaccine. Yeah. That's Get right. that vaccine. <laughs> you know. And like I said, I look forward to seeing you at Creating Change 2021. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I want to thank our guest, the Communications Director of the National LGBTQ Task Force, Kathy Renna. Due to the global pandemic, the 2021 Creating Change Conference will be held virtually from January 28th to 31st. The theme of this year's conference is The Power of You and features 16 day-long institutes, 48 workshops, and many caucus sessions. The opening keynote address will be delivered by activist and actress Dominique Jackson. The closing address will be by author, black feminist and women's rights activist, Adrian Marie Brown. Performances by Big Frida, the Queen of Bounce, and Latina comic Sandra Valls are just part of a scheduled entertainment. Registration is open and can be found on the task force website at creatingchange.org. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.